Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here to close the week. Hard to believe it is April 1st. It's April Fool's Day today, ladies and gentlemen. So be alert to anything that sounds a little funky. And I promise everything on today's show is going to be true. No April Fool jokes from us here at AOA today. We've got too much happening in the world of agriculture. Of course, the markets right now are still coping with the release of data from the USDA yesterday. We had their prospective plantings report showing more soybean acres than Corn acres. Markets have reacted to that. Soybeans are continuing their slide today. We'll talk to Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk here later in the program about what those numbers mean long and medium term here in the ag markets. In segment three today, I'm very excited. We're going to be speaking with BJ Johnson. He's the founder of Clear Flame Engines. This is the technology that's effectively uh, letting diesel engines burn corn ethanol and other biofuel products. BJ is very focused on the corn ethanol market, and he's looking at ways to get these engines into the industry. So we'll talk with BJ here a little bit later on. And we're also going to get caught up on the cattle market price discovery and transparency bill. We spoke earlier this week, there were some updates to that bill in Congress. And Ethan Lane, the Vice President of Government Affairs with NCBA, will be joining us to break those down. But one ongoing story in the the world more broadly, it's not confined to just agriculture, is the rising price of energy, specifically the rising price of fuel at the pump. Yesterday, President Joe Biden came out, made an announcement. It was anticipated. We discussed it on the show yesterday. It was formally announced yesterday afternoon. The United States will be releasing 1 million barrels per day of crude for the next six months. That totals 180 million barrels of crude coming out of the strategic petroleum reserve. President Biden's idea is we're going to push more oil for a longer term onto the market in a bid to bring prices down. Just so you folks know, the average price of crude oil in storage in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, according to the uh, Energy Association or the Energy Agency here in the U.S., the DOE, total cost per barrel of the energy we've got stored is $29.70 per barrel, $29.70. Right now with crude at 100 this might be a money-making proposition for old Uncle Sam, but it's all being done in a bid to reduce fuel prices at the pump. Well, there's another way that fuel prices have been coming down at the pump, and that is biofuels. Joining me here to start the show, we've got Todd Neely of DTN. He is one of the contributors to the Ethanol blog over at DTN, keeps close watch on this industry. And Todd, you wrote a story recently about how E15 sales have been surging in California. Is this a factor of the higher price? at the pump hi mike hey thanks for having me on today uh yeah um you know e85 in california uh has really been on the rise um you know we've seen um in 2020 or since 2020 the number of gallons of e85 sold in california dropped by 55 percent into 2021 um you know i i think in california for sure having 85 is probably a big deal you know the pump prices out in california uh, on average, are higher than what we see here in the Midwest. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that it's really reached a level where it's going to make that big of a difference unless you have a flex fuel vehicle. Um, but it's really interesting because a lot of work has been going on <clears throat> involving corn boards, uh, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, to name a few. Uh, they've been, been investing money out in California to expand infrastructure uh, to be able to allow more E85 to be sold, and that's still ongoing. And so these numbers out of California that were released earlier in the week. Um, they're pretty encouraging, but keep in mind that a lot of what uh, the corn boards are doing is still ongoing. And so there's uh, there's more room for growth. And in fact, California is a very large market. Uh, they need ethanol for the low carbon fuel standard out there. Uh, and so far, ethanol has been the fuel that's really been uh, helping them to, uh, to put more uh, cleaner gallons of fuel into, into the supply out there. Absolutely. And reducing the price. I've seen some analysts say that E85 is priced 30 to 50% under conventional E10 out in California. And boy, when prices are north of five bucks at the pump, Todd, you notice a 50% savings. I did want to 
circle back on what you mentioned there. Your article, you noted the Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri corn boards are spending money to help California build out the infrastructure. Todd, do you know what yeah. sort of infrastructure the Californians need to build out? Uh, yeah, it's basically pumps, you know, and the underground uh, storage to basically hold this this kind of fuel. And, uh, you know, E85 is highly specialized. I mean, we see uh, we see it uh, in blender pumps across the Midwest. And, uh, you know, it's not something that can retrofit into existing infrastructure. And so there's uh, there's a lot of a lot of stations that just don't have the capability to have E85. And that's that's going to change, I think. Uh, you know, especially now, and, and one of the things you have to consider too is that uh, the number of flex fuel vehicles out there isn't dramatically high. And you know, we've had this this fuel available for a lot of years. Flex fuel vehicles have been um, a technology that's been out there for quite some time, and it's just never really completely taken hold. But what you're seeing today, uh, you know, in California, it's fairly encouraging. Now, whether uh, we see that as a national movement, you know, where we see more E85 being offered is is something that's probably down the road yet, but it certainly needs uh, it needs more investment. And I think, uh, you know, California is just a start on that front. I think you're right. And it certainly sounds like the conversations being had about fuel price levels at the retail side are filtering up into D.C. Todd, I understand you had the chance to, uh, to participate in the Nebraska Ethanol Board Forum and uh, hear from Rob Snyder, the uh, EPA Ag Advisor. What did he say? Are we going to get more E15 year round from the EPA? Well, you know, Mike, it's really something that uh, we're kind of running up against the gun here. It's it's basically two months from today uh, that the summer driving season begins, and when that when that arrives on June first, there's going to be uh, E15 pumps across the country that aren't going to be able to sell the fuel because of ozone regulations. Um, Snyder talked to the ethanol uh, Nebraska Ethanol Board last week and said that uh, they're actively working with a number of states, uh, including right here in Nebraska. Uh, to provide some sort of a waiver to allow uh, E15 to be sold uh, through these summer months. Uh, that itself would probably be a temporary measure. Uh, you know, it needs to be something more permanent and more long-term. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot, of, a lot of members of Congress and other people really pushing EPA and the administration to make some permanent change uh, to, to restore the year-round sales of E15. But it's definitely a fuel that uh, you know, it can be it can be run in vehicles 2001 and newer. Um, it's a lot of pumps. You'll see it as the 88 and, the, you know, the yellow label on the pumps in 88. That's uh, that's E15. And so uh, it's certainly being used a lot already. And I think uh, there's a lot of concern out there that if June 1st arrives and we're not able to sell E15 anymore, that that's really going to uh, continue to hit consumers at the pump. It certainly will. I think everybody's going to notice these high prices, and it certainly seems like another call for the importance of energy security here in this country. Folks, we've been talking to Todd Neely of DTN. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Ethan Lane, the Vice President of Government Affairs from NCBA here when we return after the break. And I really hope you stick around. We'll have a lot more conversations coming here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, need a little more. Too much, little less, just about got it. And that's what it's like figuring out nitrogen. But with my field nurture from FS, your crop specialist can help with expertise and a vast array of tools to manage nitrogen all season. You'll get a plan for the right source, at the right rates, at the right times, and in the right place to maximize ROI. So talk with your FS crop specialist to learn more about My Field Nurture. Right there. Perfect. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. 
Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. I guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, folks. Thank you for making us a part of your day on this Friday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, as I mentioned, but this is no joke. We're talking about important issues in the world of agriculture, and one issue that has been percolating for a while, but really picked up steam last summer, is cash marketing in the cattle industry. And we've seen uh, some Senate action, some congressional action happen on this front. In fact, we speak with Senator Charles Grassley regularly on the program, and he is one of the backers of the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. We've discussed this a lot over the past year as it has been floating around in Washington, D.C. Well, earlier this week, it was revised. Joining us to help make sense of these revisions and look out a little further in the cattle market space, Ethan Lane joins us today. He's the vice president of government affairs with NCBA. And Ethan, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Great to be with you, Mike. Let's talk cattle market price discovery and transparency act. It was revised earlier this week. Ethan, what revisions were made here in this bill? Well, you know, they, they made a few tweaks to the non mandate portions of the bill. You know, obviously that's the piece that everyone largely kind of is supportive of. Um, so, uh, they retained a lot of the stuff on 14-day uh, delivery and cattle slaughter. Um, they struck some of the language that would have codified some of those new reports coming out of USDA, the daily formula-based price report, uh, which we disagree with. We thought that's a pretty good report and uh, would like to see that continued. Um, they also stepped away from some of the confidentiality language, um, working on uh, trying to achieve more information uh, that's locked out right now from places like Colorado because the language they had structurally didn't work, I don't think, um, although that's a really important issue for us to attack. And finally, they really rejiggered their cash marketing mandate uh, for, I guess, the third time now. Um, it it kind of keeps getting uh, uh, you know, it, more, more difficult to understand as they try different versions of this mandate. You know, they're wrestling with some constitutional challenges uh, to this. It's very much like the individual mandate in Obamacare that we saw um, all those years back. 
Um, you know, so they, they have some challenges there to try to make this work. And the latest version creates a, a, a reporting region structure on top of the five area at the discretion of the Secretary of Agriculture uh, to, to basically put requirements in place for every cattle producer marketing fat cattle across the country um, if they're selling to a packer that sells more than 5% of the, uh, the cattle supply each day. So it, it really creates a lot of opportunity for, uh, for problems in implementation at USDA, and it actually exposes a lot more of our producers around the country um, to the threat of a mandate and, and, and a forced change in their business model, which is why NCBA remains opposed to this bill. And the NCBA's opposition has really been long running. Uh, the way this would would impact the cattle markets, of course, is very wide. I understand, um, Ethan, we're starting to see ag schools around the country do their research on this bill. And of course, we're forward looking, we're gazing into crystal balls here. But I know the University of Arkansas released an analysis and they said the House bill on cattle price discovery may chill innovation in the beef markets. As you think about how this could play out long term, what are some of the risks of putting a, a mandatory purchase uh, agreement into place? Well, it, it, it disincentivizes innovation. It, it takes that choice away for producers in how they want to market their cattle. Um, you know, if we look at um, the different parts of the country, you know, this is popular in places like Iowa because basically no Iowa producers would need to change how they market cattle. This is how they're doing business now, and that works for them. Um, in other parts of the country, they're not doing business this way and would have to re-examine how they do business. And what's lost there is those market signals that are incentivizing quality, right, that are incentivizing investments in genetics, that are, that are illustrating for producers what they need to be focusing on to make more money on their cattle and to make them more attractive to buyers. Um, if, we, if we take that out of the equation, what we've seen in our voluntary framework over the last couple of years is that it's the producer that's giving up leverage to market cash cattle. The packers are able to recalibrate their business model very quickly. Um, they don't lose a, 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 you know, they don't lose a second or a step in, in how they acquire cattle, which shouldn't be a shock to anybody listening to this. Um, it's our producers that end up kind of getting the short end of the stick. That's what we're worried about is the unintended consequences of putting a mandate in place that's intended to impact the packers, but really ends up being uh, an additional requirement for producers. Um, we want to find other ways to make sure that we're getting that price discovery that we need. Um, we've had a lot of elevated cash trade. Our producers have done a lot of hard work to make sure that happens. Um, but that's where we need to put our focus in addition to making sure that the transparency portions of this conversation that are broadly supported um, are, are advanced here. Ethan, you spend a lot of time talking to folks in D.C. about these issues. And when we had Senator Grassley, obviously Iowa's senator, as you mentioned, this bill wouldn't change a lot with how Iowa cattle folks market cattle. But he's very passionate about this subject, and it certainly sounds as though he's got the, the passion to see this thing through to a vote. As you look out broadly in D.C., what are the conversations like? As you mentioned, this is the fourth time this bill has been revised. Do you anticipate more revisions coming in the future? You know, I, I, I admire Senator Grassley's dedication to this cause. He is, and I've said this before, I think on this show and elsewhere, he's, he is he's voting his state, right? He's, he is representing his constituents, and that's exactly what he should be doing. But there are a lot of other states full of a lot of other cattle producers that don't like this bill. And, and we saw that in our voting process in Houston. Uh, Farm Bureau saw it during their voting process. The vast majority of producers in the country simply don't like this concept. And so he's going to have to work through that with other senators. He has, obviously, the supporters that are on this bill, but the world gets pretty small once he leaves the Senate Ag Committee. Um, you have a lot of, you have a lot of you know, influential livestock states with, with senators, I believe, that, that, that don't see this issue the same way as him. And his, his in, in unwillingness to sort of engage some of those concerns, you know, I mean, he's, look, he's been doing this a long time, and his position is kind of, this is the way I see it, and I don't care if you disagree. You know, he's gone as far as saying that any of us that disagree are wrong or corrupt or somehow, um, you know, somehow on the take rather than simply representing producers with a different viewpoint. Um, it'd be great to see him kind of moderate that a little bit and, and recognize that there are some legitimately major differences of opinion here within the industry that we need to work through. Um, but you, 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 can't, uh, you can't knock him for his tenacity. He is, uh, he's been uh, awfully consistent on this. 
He certainly has. As we take the mandate portion of this bill out of the equation, you mentioned the broad support that exists really amongst most agricultural stakeholders about the transparency access or, or uh, aspects of this bill. Um, Ethan, do you think we're going to get a chance to vote on just those? Is there the possibility this could be split up and perhaps those transparency uh, components added to another bill? Boy, that's a great question. And, and you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how things shape up over the, over the weeks and months to come. Um, you know, Congress has an attention span like anybody else. And, and there has been attention focused on this issue set for longer than I remember ever seeing attention focused on an issue set. It would be a shame to see a, Congress's attention divert to other things without us taking advantage of this opportunity to get some real work done on these issues to make sure we're getting more data and more transparency for cattle producers. Um, that'd be an awfully big shame. So I, I hope that there's some opportunity there, but um, you know, we're going to have to continue to educate, continue to, to voice the opinion of the majority of cattle producers that are members of NCBA and, and look for those opportunities. But for the time being, um, you know, the only bill that they have out there to, uh, to contemplate is one that's uh, pretty objectionable to a lot, of, uh, a lot of members around the country. And what bill would that be, Ethan? No, the, the, I'm saying the, 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 the cattle market bill. The Fisher Grass bill, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Nope. Understand that completely. Now, there, there is a lot of discussions to happen on this as we get into spring and summer. Ethan, I know NCBA has been doing a, a lot of a lot of research on this topic. Can you tell our listeners the work that you've been doing? Where could they find it online? How can they learn more about this complicated and really divisive topic that's going to be with us for a little while longer? You know, policy.ncba.org is the is the home for all of our uh, all of our policy focused work. Um, that is that is the, the best place to go to get started. Um, but you know we always encourage people if you if you're if you have some thoughts if you have some opinions don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call us directly too. We're on the phone with producers all day every day, um, and it's the most important part of what we do. So um, you know we, we we love getting that feedback from the country and, and having those conversations. But uh, policy.ncba.org is a great place to go to get that information. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Ethan, before we let you go, we're talking about this issue. It's going to have cattle producers, I, I think, fired up one way or another as this continues to accelerate. It's always nice to focus on the positives when we're having these big discussions. <laughs> cattle moving into right. Japan. We've opened up that beef market. There's positive things happening, isn't there, for cattle producers? Oh, absolutely. We have surging demand. We have the highest quality beef this country's ever seen, the world has ever seen. We're doing that with the lowest environmental footprint we've ever seen. This industry is excelling at what we do. Um, you know, cracking this code of making sure our producers that are, that are driving that quality get paid for it is job number one. But boy, what a, what a great opportunity here we have with $10 billion going overseas last year and more to come this year. Fantastic space. The beef space is one to be in. Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs with NCBA. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, when we return, BJ Johnson, founder of Clear Flame Engines, will join us and we'll look at where ethanol can fit in long term. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, USDA changed the dynamics of the graded oilseed markets on Thursday, and the markets now are waking up to the reality the world might be tight on corn this year, with Ukraine absent from the export market and U.S. farmers reducing planting intentions more than expected 
due to some of those high crop input prices. Weather models also are shifting slightly drier for Safrida court areas of Mato Grosso and areas to the east as the crop heads into pollination and signs that the rainy season may be ending several weeks early at a critical time for the crop in Brazil. Throw in higher soybean acreage estimates. Um, didn't eliminate concerns of shortage of the oil seed, but it eased some of those concerns just a bit. Uh, historically, there's a tendency in years with normal planting weather to see corn acres drift higher, bean acres drift lower as we move through the planting season. We'll have to see will we maybe end up near that 90-90 mark for corn and beans. Uh, that remains to be seen. The trade was also surprised by the decline in spring wheat acreage. We did see a bit of a rise in specialty crop acres in some of spring wheat country as well, though, so that's something to keep our eye on. Stocks pushed modestly higher overnight. Crude oil market is back below $100 per barrel, or at least holding right around that in reaction to President Biden's plans to empty a large portion of our strategic petroleum reserve between now and the midterm elections. Taking a look at some of the numbers right now in the trade as we work through our Friday morning. May corn down 11 and a half, 737 at a quarter. December up four to quarter, 688. July beans down 14 at a quarter, 1583 at three quarters. Bean meal, bean oil down moderately. May Chicago wheat up 5, 10, 11. May Kansas City wheat up 11, 10, 40 at three quarters. May spring wheat up 16 to three quarters, 1096 at a quarter. April live cattle up 52, 139.90. April feeder cattle up 90, 162.30. April hogs down 5, 101.70. Crude oil down 29 cents at 99.99. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today for AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, 130 years ago, in 1892, Rudolf Diesel received his first patent for a compression ignition engine. Over the next 130 years, diesel engine technology changed, but diesel fuel was a crucial component of it. Well, here in 2022, that's changing. Clear Flame Engines, a new technology company, is out there and they are working to break the bond between diesel engines, compression ignition engines, and diesel fuel. Joining me today to talk about this is Dr. BJ Johnson. He's the CEO and founder of Clear Flame Engine Technologies. BJ, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Mike. Let's talk about Clear Flame Technologies. BJ, what is the crucial element that you guys have created to change the, the diesel engine game? I, I think you explained it beautifully in your intro, which is that there's nothing wrong with the diesel engine design. There's a reason that it dominates all of the high-performance applications that it does, like trucking and agriculture. The problem has always been the cost and emissions challenges of petroleum diesel fuel. It is, a, it is a fuel that works well in those engines, but it doesn't have to be the only fuel we can use. And that's where Clearflame comes in. What we developed was uh, effectively a higher temperature combustion process, something we can do to, to tweak 10, 15% of the parts of that engine, keep it running exactly the way a diesel engine does today, but free it up to make a more intelligent fuel choice and be able to leverage fuels like ethanol that are lower cost and cleaner burning than diesel improving that all of the economic value that we associate with the diesel engine no longer has to be saddled with those economic and environmental challenges when it comes to fuel price and emissions. 
It's it's fa fascinating, BJ, to see the way this just tweaks things in such a way that it opens up an entire new world of possibility. I said this is a new company, but you're not a new company. Clearflame has been around for a while. Can you give us the the breakdown on how this got started? Yeah, so you know, as a technology, we we date back about ten years or so at this point. In, in grad school, I met Clearflame's co-founder Julie Bloomwriter. That's when we first started working on this technology, proving that we could make a, a fundamentally fuel agnostic diesel engine. In 2016, we started the company and in early 2017 moved to the Chicago area. And that's where we really started to appreciate the benefits of ethanol as a fuel. We developed a fuel agnostic platform. We chose ethanol not to promote corn, not to be able to actually sell more of the fuel. And of course our technology helps do that. But we chose the fuel purely on its merits. And we've been showing over the last five years or so that, yes, you absolutely can get ethanol to run in a diesel engine and deliver everything you expect from that engine. Um, but the, the interest in ClearFund has really picked up in the last six months or so. Um, now that we have our, our first trucks driving on the road, we're able to start testing with customers in the near future. Um, we have an investment from John Deere that's allowing us to expand this into agriculture applications as well, tractors and combines. Um, we've been working on it for a long time, and now we're finally at that prove-it stage, and really, we're really excited to show what we can do. It is very neat. And the, the I remember when the press release came out here a few months ago about the truck completing its road test. I was wondering, BJ, if we could circle back. You, you picked corn ethanol not to suck up to farmers or anything like that, but because of its merits. Um, a lot of our listeners are familiar with its merits as an oxygen source in gasoline. Tell me, what are the merits that corn ethanol brings to being used in a compression ignition environment? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and I think it's it's uh, an important one that everyone's ready to answer as we talk about what ethanol is going to be in this country for the next 20 years. You know, as, as you were alluding to, it has tremendous benefits as an oxygenate, as an octane improver in gasoline, but octane's not actually good for a diesel engine. Um, but fortunately, ethanol has so much more to it than just those those octane benefits. It's fundamentally in, lower in carbon. It is 45 to 50% lower in terms of CO2 impact than you would get with diesel fuel, which is not perfect, but it is as much of a reduction as you would get to switching to an electric vehicle today. And ethanol is very much on the pathway in the next 15 years to becoming a net carbon neutral fuel. And at the same time, you know, when I say the word emissions today, I think most people's minds go to greenhouse gases, to CO2. But let's not forget the other half of the emissions and pollution problem, which is criteria emissions, things that affect human health, like soot and smog. And when you're in a crowded urban area, being able to switch away from dirty diesel fuel to ethanol, a, a fuel that burns without any of that black soot that creates that orange sooty claim, flame, you know, ethanol burns with a clear flame. That's how we get our name. And that has real human health benefits as well when it comes down to to, to reducing impacts of, of things like soot and smog. Yeah, it is very incredible when you think of the amount of trucks in heavy urban environments that are all rolling coal to be able to have a clear flame boy that would improve air quality. BJ, thinking about the environment we're in today, where we have a huge push for electric vehicles, and we're seeing some companies say we're not going to build internal combustion engines or engines that run on uh, petroleum or, or fossil fuels. How quickly does clear flame need to act to secure the this as a as a, a motive force here in the economy uh, also a key question you know I think there's a, a couple parts to that answer um, you know when it comes to the need to act quickly um, it, it's more about increasing awareness that this is possible you know everyone is making big commitments to electrification today as they should be I think there are some markets where electric vehicles make a lot of sense you know passenger cars in urban areas and multi-car family homes you know, it's, it's a great market opportunity for EVs. You know, is the combustion engine going to go away overnight? No. And so will Clearframe have a, a market for our technologies for the foreseeable future, decades, particularly in heavy-duty, hard-to-electrify applications like freight trucks and tractors and combines and construction? That market opportunity is not going anywhere. But, but the challenge we face, and it's the much more time-sensitive one, back to your question, is people don't realize that ethanol is ready to fill that role. If you ask a policymaker today, do we have a good strategy to be able to reduce our fossil diesel dependence in this country? 
The answer will be no. And when they think of ethanol, they think of ethanol as going into the gasoline blend stock. And when you say, do we have an answer to gasoline? They'll say, oh, yeah, we can make EV passenger cars. But when you open people's minds to the fact that the fuel that we already make 17 billion gallons of can make an immediate impact in the diesel markets that we know we don't have a solution for, that is a slam dunk economic and environmental case. And the only threat to, to it not happening is the world just not even contemplating it's possible from a policy perspective. And so I think it's about awareness when it comes to how we change our policy much more than it is about the market opportunity because the latter is not going anywhere. That's a great point. That's a great point. BJ, as you think about moving this forward into the mainstream, obviously we need to get engine manufacturers to agree to build engines that will run on the clear flame technologies. I know you've been having those discussions. Who is interested in building out engines that can run on ethanol? So we already have an investment for John Deere. We're working with them to reach both the agriculture and construction market. We're doing one of the, their nine liter engines. So the type of engine you would get in, a, in an 8R tractor, for example. So they're very much on board. And, and I think they're also thinking about ethanol and, and frankly, biofuels more broadly, more, more than just clear flame. They really are one of the leading OEMs when it comes to understanding we do need a complement to electrification to reach a decarbonized future. And so they're very much engaged. When it comes to the truck market, uh, we have some MOUs in place with the aftermarket engine rebuilders, the people that do diesel engine overhauls and truck upfits, you know, inside and, and intermediate useful life of a truck. And we are also absolutely engaging with uh, partners on the OEM trucking side to scale this up in a bigger way. So pe people are getting on board, uh, just coming to understand the opportunity. No, that is very cool. I'm curious about the aftermarket engine rebuilders. It, it, the idea being you could be selling kits to to truckers whose uh, you know, engines have hit that million mile mark and they're looking for a rebuild and they could rebuild using clear flame technology. Yes, absolutely. And, and, it, and it actually kind of goes back to your market opportunity question, which is even if we could snap our fingers and make every new truck electric overnight, there'd still be 4 million trucks out there on the road that are going to have second and third lives after their first one. And ClearFlame can absolutely be integrated as an aftermarket retrofit. Will we sell kits to individual users right away? Probably not. We're going to work with the rebuilding community to make sure we also can get all the processes right for how we, we do integrate it so that when we do offer that farmer or trucker a retrofit kit in the future, we're not just giving them the parts, but we're telling them all the exact details of, of how they can use their mechanical knowledge to, to install this product correctly. Now, liquid fuel availability, do we need to do anything or be thinking about the infrastructure to provide ethanol diesel at pumps as well, or would it be just E85? So it can run on both E98 and E85 and, and any of the flavors of E85, you know, 51 to 83%. Those will all work. We, we are starting with E98 as our fuel of choice. Um, it also works on hydrous ethanol. So the water content you have in South America, that, that is not a problem for the technology either. I think the fuel is out there and available, and there's not much we have to do to make sure we have access to this market. But I, I believe you said, you know, what do we have to be thinking about? And, and that's, that's the key. You know, there, there is some degree of thought required here. If you want to fill up on ethanol at a truck stop, you would want to have a higher flow pump. Um, you, don't, you don't want the kind of gasoline pump that I put into my Mazda trying to put you 200 gallons of fuel in your, in your big rig. Um, and so truck stops, as they're adding more ethanol infrastructure, need to be thinking of, okay, don't put that ethanol tank on the far side of the car canopy, but put it closer to the truck canopy and make sure you have a high flow hose on it. These are not tricky problems to solve and they're extremely low cost, but we need to be conscious of them to expand up availability of this fuel. That is fantastic. BJ, we'll be watching Clear Flame very closely, wishing you the best of luck, folks. If you want to learn more, you can visit them at clearflameengines.com. Thanks for joining us, BJ. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. And folks, stick around. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk will join us to run through yesterday's USDA report figure. Stick around on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. 
Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in today, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Yesterday, USDA released a couple of closely watched reports. They released their prospective plantings report. Boy, the trade was waiting on that one. And they released quarterly grain stocks. To help make sense of all of that data, Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk joins me today. And Garrett, we've been seeing the soybean market sell off since the reports dropped yesterday. What was the big surprise? Well, it was really twofold it was the it was the acres numbers but i think the the bean break uh that momentum had already just kind of started with these covid shutdowns in china but uh the the bean acres uh were were larger than expected at the expense of corn acres um you know and 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 since the first january this is kind of what we had expected combination of the big bean rally things just really outpaced the corn rally then you throw in the cost of inputs fertilizer everything else um, and, and the farmers uh, just just walked away from corn acres. Um, you know, I think the interesting thing within the entire acreage pie of all the planted historical acres, I mean, we have, we're at 314.6 million acres, which is up about 300,000 from last year, the final number last year. Combined corn bean acres at 185 we're down, it's essentially the same numbers as the final number last year. So it was a, it was a pure shift from, from beans to corn. And in reality, it was a, it was a shift from, from feed grains to oil seeds because, you know, total feed grain acres were only 101.2 million acres. That's corn, sorghum, barley, oats. Uh, and that's the lowest, uh, the lowest feed grain acres we've had since 2019 when we had the wet spring. In reality, if it was, and that was, you know, uh, that was a uh, prevent plant year. In reality, that's the smallest acres number since 2010. For, for total feed grains. But for oil seeds, which is largely you know, soybeans, peanuts, sunflower, canola, flax, you name it, they were 96.5 million acres. That was up nearly 4 million acres from last year. And, and that's, that's a record oil seed number. And, and we had the wheat numbers, 47.4 million acres. Those were up about half a million acres from last year. And, and, uh, and then we had increases in, in others, other um, markets, hay, uh, cotton, rice, rye—they were up about a half million acres. But uh, a general shift, uh, a general shift away from corn. I will put a caveat. Uh, NAS said that the the survey results were only about 49%. They only only had 49.5% respondents uh, versus last year, and, and last year it was closer. Uh, to, let's see here, it was 53.7% last year. So survey responses from the farmer weren't that great. So um, I don't know if that means that there's a larger margin of error here to be considered. But, uh, um, you know, yeah, it was all acres. The stocks numbers are all for corn and beans relatively in line. Uh, the, the key take-home from the stocks report for me were that, uh, you know, the farmer was fairly well sold on corn. And, and uh, the farmer has a little bit more beans on hand than what they did this time last year. It's still a small on-farm supply, but it's slightly higher than last year. And that makes sense because, you know, the farmer generally, had the, the, we sold beans out of the field and we sold them too early and, and we're kind of holding some beans back this year just because of higher prices and, and trying to offset, you know, last year's marketing. So um, yeah, it's going to be basically what we've been telling customers is that, the, the S and Ds are tight enough for everything that if there's a big swing one way or another, there's going to be uh, a fight for acres um, result, and that's essentially what you're doing. Today's price action, you've got the front end and corn down 12, these corns up five, but basically what you're doing is first a month, I think you're seeing this length roll out of the front end and move into December because. Um, the next four to eight weeks are going to be crucial in Ukraine. The next four to, six, four to eight weeks, we're going to start planting here in the U.S. And, um, you know, whether you throw the, 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 the corn S&D has a potential to be explosive if you throw any sort of hint of weather on this thing. Yeah, forecasts are definitely going to matter this year. Garrett, you mentioned the COVID slowdowns in China. They announced this morning they're effectively locking down the city of Shanghai, 26 million people. That's got the soybean market a little nervous about continued shipments? I believe so. I mean, 
um, you know, the combination, the, the bean market really, and you look at the chart, it, it, we found willing sellers above $17. And, and I've always tell customers that soybeans are a game of dollars, corn's a game of quarters. And, and we resisted at $17, and now within, the, within this week, we're back to testing $16. Um, and, and we're holding. So now, you know, and this is kind of that top end of that consolidation range from January that we had from $15.50 to $16. And it's the 50-day moving average here at, at $16.08. So we've got support here. I don't know if this market warrants uh, – you know, if we break 16, then you're looking at lower, you know, 15.50 or 15 dollar levels. I don't know if you necessarily warrant that because I mean we still had solid export sales this week. China's active buying beans, but it's it's the, the Shanghai lockdowns, it's it's the uh, port congestion because of the lockdowns, the inability to unload. Um, Dalian meal traded. It was I think it was down 11 percent overnight. Um, you know that was one of their worst nights overnight. So I mean it's all kind of culminating in that. I don't think necessarily. The, the bean situation was kind of soft going into the stocks report just because of the China lockdown. Uh, the, the bean acre number didn't really help that much. Copy that. As you look at uh, getting some sales on the books, you mentioned Deese corn up a little bit. Garrett, is it time here to do some risk management on the corn side? Risk management both ways. I mean, I think that, um, you know, if you've got bean sales on already, you know, use a break to potentially look at some call protection here. Um, because I do think that these, I, you know, I know there's a lot of arguments going on now, whether, well, because of fertilizer ability, um, you know, corn acres aren't going to increase that much. But I still think standard of error and potential survey issues, you know, I do think that corn acres do kind of come back a little bit. It may not be much, but I do think they come back. But uh, anything you make a sale with, I want to have upside protection on. Have that protection. Manage that risk, folks. It's going to be a volatile year. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And folks, tune in to AOA on Monday. We'll talk policy with Jackie Fatka, weather with John Baranek, and that soybean demand picture with Mac Marshall of the U.S. SEC. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.